Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa idea in the 21st century. If you're functioning, it's there. In this episode of the Iowa Idea podcast, I sit down with artist Joe Tate. I first met Joe at the University of Iowa, where we worked on the award-winning sketch comedy show Eggplant. Most of that last sentence was true. After 20-plus years, Joe and I catch up to talk about his approach to art and creativity. Joe Tate makes art. He's always doing that. Sometimes he writes, sometimes he does both at the same time. After a 20-year career teaching art to children in and around Cleveland, he now works as a librarian archivist at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. It's a career jump that might appear incongruous, except that it marks a return to an institution that helped to direct his earliest creative impulses as a child who wished to be a dinosaur. I appreciated Joe talking about the importance of audience, constraints, and context in his approach to art. And I'd like to thank him for joining me on the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Joe Tate, it is a pleasure to have you on the Iowa Idea podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. If you don't mind, could you uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, basically, I, I we went to the University of Iowa together back in the dinosaur era. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, currently I'm the librarian and archivist at the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. Prior to that, uh, I was teaching in a couple of different places around Cleveland, in affluent private schools, inner city charter schools. And throughout all of that, uh, I was teaching art, but throughout all of that, I've also been involved in my own creativity and doing various projects uh, related to graphics and writing and all kinds of other stuff. So that's basically where I've been at. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, a lot of those different areas that uh, we can dig into, uh, but wanted wanted to start with uh, just on the on the creativity side. Uh, you do writing. You you're an artist. Uh, how do you? Uh, I guess I'll just start. Do you have a preference on like what, like when, all things being equal, what you like to do for joy? Yeah, I think. I mean, it, it's it's ebbed and flowed over the course of of my sort of creative life. And um, I think these days I'm much more interested in the, the visual stuff. And that ranges between three-dimensional and two-dimensional stuff. Um, but at various times, particularly if, if, a, if a concept demands it, I'll, you know, I, I very easily go over into the writing. I, I, ideally, I like to uh, combine the two. And so do graphic or graphic novel work or, you know, or sort of, art books and that kind of thing. So yeah, as generally I tend to, I'm more of a graphics guy now, more of an art guy now, uh, but that could, that could definitely change at some point. If you could, could you walk me through kind of the general process from basically almost idea to a a finished two-dimensional or three-dimensional art object out in the world, just your, your process of creation? Sure. Um, 
it depends a lot on whether like I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a big uh, sort of, I don't do a lot of selling or a lot of uh, showing and that sort of thing. And that's kind of built into my attitude towards creativity and what creativity is for me. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of selfish about what I do. I mean, I definitely, audience is important and I like thing I like things to be seen. And I, I, it's almost, I think I prefer an intimate experience. If that makes sense. I like to, to, to create for individuals or small groups or have opportunities to dialogue about what it is I make. So the idea of kind of doing that in a more open setting can be, it, it kind of, it feels like I'm missing the mark when things get too big. It get kind of uncomfortable in sort of that large, uh, a larger arena. But um, that in mind, you know, um, there's always some kind of audience and I think that's that's where it starts and it's sort of the size and the nature of that audience that kind of determines what I'm going to try to do and how I'm going to try to do it. So if I'm creating for children, it's going to be a very different thing than if I'm creating for an adult or adult with a specialized interest. So it's, it, starts with, it starts with the communication piece and so who, to whom am I communicating? And um, from there, I, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do thumbnail sketches. That's kind of the default sort of idea vomit happens on a, in a sketchbook yep. with pencil. Um, and then as I'm involved in that process, I'm sort of continually thinking about, you know, what it, what's the message? What is the, what's being delivered and, and the audience to whom it's being delivered? Um, then ideas start to occur about you know what's the idea what's the mode going to be and so you know uh, and other factors too start to come in like time and method of delivery and all sorts of things that kind of shape the physical aspect of the piece so i mean currently i've been doing i'm doing a lot of digital work because it's just easier to i can do a lot not everything but a lot of what i can do in painting digitally faster, it's easier to mass produce if I need to, or to produce multiple copies for multiple people. Um, and it's, it's just generally, it generally has a speed to it. I mean, the trade-off is that it's a little colder. It doesn't have the, the, the warmth of, of physical media and there's limitations with printing and that sort of thing. But yeah, so, you know, these decisions happen along the way, and then I'll enter into whatever process is necessary to create the final piece based on what the medium is. And so, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, it's, it's an economic as well as a, a creative process, right? It's sort of like, again, what are the resources available? Time, money, materials. So all then, these context elements that you're really trying to balance or optimize as you're right. kind of stepping through the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, like I definitely, I, en I enjoy art for art's sake. I appreciate it and I'm influenced by art for art's sake, but I find in my own work, I tend to have to have something to say. And I tend to get, I, I, I will, I tend to get a little cocky about that too. in in, in sort of, um, looking at other people's artwork 
and you know and sort of evaluating our work and it's that idea that idea of message is very important to me and it's not and the question being you know representational necessarily it's just a question of delivering something you know so tell tell me a little bit more about like uh, the word you use was cockiness but can you tell me a little bit more about that what you mean by that sure I, and, it, and it, it's it's gone along with i think it's gone along with being it, it, it's sort of the, the, you know, the dark side of my creativity. Yeah. Um, it's, it goes along with a little bit of that selfishness is that I think, you know, I heard it, it kind of feeds into who I am to a certain degree that I was definitely, I've definitely been, I don't know, at times been, I would, you know, I'm trying to say a little bit, you know, being more than, you know, like, yeah. There's been some arrogance, I think, that comes from where I come from and, and you know, and ex- family experience, that sort of thing that I've carried with me creatively that has sort of determined a unique path for me, you know, and, and certain things where, and, and where I've been privileged enough not to get my ass kicked for it, <laughs> you know, and, and sort of fortunate enough that it has guided me more than it has hurt me, but also I've been aware enough of it that, um, you know, I've been, tr- I've tried to surf it, I guess, more than, yeah. more than um, let it limit me and also not let it, you know, and not let it go, you know, go hog wild and, and become horrible about it. I, there's a, I, I was in the, I was in the military. There's a story from, you know, when I was in basic training, I think that kind of illustrates the, a moment where it really, you know, where that arrogance came forward. And I had a drill sergeant that was telling me to do something. I think it was, I was, you know, doing kitchen duty or whatever. And he was plainly wrong. <laughs> like he was telling me to do something that I'd already done or I, whatever, I had determined in, in my, in my head that he was wrong. And so you know, he's yelling at me to do something. And of course, you know, there's just that aspect of me that instead of being horrified and running, you know, running and just doing it or miming it or whatever I needed to do to get away from this yelling drill sergeant, my, I just automatically rolled my eyes at him. You know, it was a very petulant kind of thing <laughs> yeah. to do and was promptly given the, you know, the hollering at of a lifetime by this guy who looked a bit like Henry Rollins, just to get a visual <laughs> on it. Yeah. And, uh, but that was that, it was that thing where it was just kind of not even in my control. Like I just, it just kicked in and I, and I learned a lesson from it, but I also kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> and so like, <laughs> it's just it's kind of a, you know, so, so that's the, th- that, that thing, that little whatever about who I am, that kind of threads in there and and manifests in my attitude towards creativity, my, my create to a great degree my creative process and sort of you know behind the scenes ways and and my interaction with people as well. Thank you. Yeah, and part part of what came to mind when you were talking about this too is the the cockiness or you know that it's also you know, a form of expression and self-expression right that you you yeah, are sure. you're putting yourself out there and communicating and i wish i could remember the quote exactly but there was a time in my life for whatever reason i was doing some more research on edward hopper and mm-hmm. i remember a quote from hopper like that his uh 
his only influence has been himself. And yeah, when I saw that alone, that sounded really cocky to me. Yeah. Yeah. But I came across it later and the broader con like a sentence before or after that, then like really shared, like, it's like when he was talking about it's, it's been this like almost struggle or life's labor to try to get this stuff out. Like he's really, and so that inspiration, not that he could, couldn't take inspiration from other people, but what he was struggling with was really how does he best communicate? And I just thought that was kind of interesting. One is absolutely the sentence out of context makes him sound super arrogant. And then another is like, he's always been at service of whatever he's trying to do in this struggle. So I just, I find, find those parts interesting. And I don't know, I just love your comments from your perspective on uh, either was Hopper full of shit or, you know, do you, do you experience that? I think think it's, it's the question. and, and, And so often we, we assign sort of values to, to things based on their effects on others and that sort of thing. And I'm certainly not going to say that, you know, that what I have, you know, that my arrogance has, has not caused people difficulty from time to time, certainly. But I think, and, and I think where Hopper's going with this and, and, and it's keeping it in the creative realm is that it's isolation and not elevation, if that makes sense. So like the idea of, of putting oneself or focusing on oneself or being self-absorbed in that way is more about dealing with the isolating aspects of it than about necessarily placing yourself above or being aloof to others. It's just that knowledge that there is a boundary between you and the world that you're exploring. So I think that's, that's kind of where I would put that. And I think about um, a big influence on me is uh, the, the German expressionist painter um, Otto Dix, uh, and he used to sign his paintings. Eventually, he went to the sort of Arabarus, the snake uh, eating its tail, yeah, representing yeah. the O. But he also he would sign he would sign his paintings. I am the Alpha and the Omega. <laughs> you know that was and wow. I mean, you see that yeah. with uninitiated, you see that, and this guy is an absolute prick, right? But at the same time, it's that that drive for this to understand the self or to explore the box that he is in is what drove him to the first world war, which is his, what made him famous and to yeah. explore sort of the streets of Weimar and to, you know, to do all of these things that sort of took him out of comfort and brought him closer I, to a vision. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but it just, that seems to be what the, you know, what comes forward in his story and in his work. And uh, just just playing on the word comfort or discomfort is something that I find interesting in the artistic process. Uh, and a story, uh, I don't know if you're, uh, when uh, Radiohead was, was uh, their album, uh, OK Computer, was being produced, mm-hmm. they were in an old house, and uh, I hope I get the name right, Nigel Godrich, their producer on a bunch of their albums, uh, apparently, one of the things he did uh, w- to really like, kind of mess with the band was he would turn the heat down at night and he would make it really, really uncomfortable because he was uh-huh. trying to provoke a sense of like discomfort to to agitate. And I just find that sometimes interesting where sure. I, I I see it in music, I feel like, and I'm painting with broad strokes, but some of the, the bands or musicians I love, I think some of their best music comes from times when they weren't like well compensated. Uh, when they and you know oh, yeah I, I think you know, just think about a lot of bands I love it's 
you'll hear a story. Oh yeah. Their first three albums are great. Or their first two albums are fantastic. But, uh, right. What is there, is there anything to be said about comfort or discomfort with the creative process? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think, you know, I think discomfort is enormous. It's just enormous to the point, you know, like, I'm thinking about. I've been very interested in the the guitarist Roland S. Howard recently. I've been doing, you know, reading about him, doing a lot of, you know, a lot of work based on him, listening to a lot of his music. Um, and he is quoted as saying at some point that that, you know, he all his songs are all sad or angry or just or or, or, or difficult songs, because he said, you know, you never you never need to exercise, exorcise yourself when you're happy, but you yeah. do when you're, when you're, you know, he felt the need to, to get this stuff out when he felt bad. And that's why, you know, you have this, this sort of, I mean, he's known to be, by the people who knew him to be a, a funny guy and a kind guy and all sorts of, you know, positive things. But if you listen to his music, think, my God, this guy, you know, so, and there's of course that element to his life as well. So yeah, no, I think discomfort is huge. It's just huge. And as a teacher too, I think discomfort was a big part of the, I felt discomfort was a big part of the learning process as well. Tell me a little bit more about that. I, I, I have, because I have my own mental model on that, but tell me what, where that, that fits with kind of on, on the learning side. Well, I think, you know, uh, it, it was, it, it, I had a lot of interesting experiences dealing with it and it, and it's sort of, particularly at the elementary level at a, at an affluent private school, discomfort could be a really hard thing to sell because the, a lot of the folks that are going to the school are sending their kids to the school or paying that money so that their kids are comfortable. Right. You know? right, right. And anything that kind of takes them out of that is, is cause for the helicopter parent to come in like right of the Valkyries. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, but one one to one student to teacher, the idea the idea was always again to try to uh, much like Radiohead in their in their cold studio. I mean, just yeah. try to try to push past that idea that something is 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 where you don't want to go necessarily. And I don't necessarily mean like something that's just cripplingly you know horrible, but even you know, and particularly with children, even sort of the the minor kind of you know action that yeah. uh, you know w getting out of bed <laughs> you know i don't know or just get it you know just moving when you don't want to move i mean th right. that can be really huge for a young kid yeah because i think for me too it's like that there's that discomfort almost like with stretching right but you're not going to get mm -hmm. any further or any better if you don't push those boundaries and so that's that's one thing where I wonder about the feeling of discomfort is when you are pushing up against your boundaries and then, you know, are you going to, are you going to push harder to, to stretch right. or, or retreat from that? Like, Hey, that didn't feel good. But right. another, another thing to that, um, really good friend of mine is, a uh, a microbiology and immunology, uh, researcher and has a lab here at the university of Iowa. Uh, and so he teaches, you know, he has postdocs, he teaches graduate students. And he said, one, and, and we've talked about this when I'm trying to train designers, is when you reflect back on your life, it seems like the, the more poignant learning experiences are actually out of like uh, failure and when things didn't work yep. 
because when things work, you're not quite sure exactly why they worked, but sometimes when they fail, you can see precisely what went wrong, right? But Absolutely. We don't, we don't learn a lot in complete comfort, and it's, it's hard because actually trying to get people comfortable with uh, failing a few times so that they can learn, and, and that's, that's one of the things we struggle with. And so that's where I think there's sometimes a discomfort because people don't, they feel like failure is just a completely horrible thing. Right, right, absolutely. And, and, it, and, and it sort of gets tied in with that, like, I, you know, think about you know, another, uh, a great line from a, a, a David Berman uh, song, you know, it's with the, you know, you can't change the feeling, but you can change the feeling about the feeling. <laughs> and, and that's been a, a sort of a, a thing that I've returned to on any number of occasions. Yeah. It's, it's such a great line. But it's that idea that it's sort of like it works in the context of creativity in the sense that you have the creative impulse and then you have what the impulse is for. And so the impulse in itself is, is neutral and whether it succeeds or fails doesn't matter. Right. It's the, the purpose that, that assigns its value or assigns its, its, you know, its interaction with the universe. And so I think, yeah, it's, it's sort of understanding that, you know, and I think it's, and framing discomfort in those terms, which is, you know, which makes it a little bit better in that, right. that sense that it takes a little bit of the, the onus off of it. Thank you. One of the, one of the things you were talking about earlier was uh, with your, with your art and what you present doing it, to, doing it to or for smaller audiences. Can you, can you talk me through, like, do you, do you have exhibitions or is there like a almost for lack of better terms, like a salon where you are sitting down with some folks and, and talking through a piece or how do you, how do you kind of like consider it out in the world? Yeah, I've, I mean, I've done a, any number of different things. I just sort of based on on, on kind of what happens. I've done, you know, a, a little bit of. I've used the art on occasion to to make to meet somebody. You know, like if there's a, somebody uh, that I that whose work I enjoy, I've sent them work, and then and develop dialogue with them. And usually, usually, I only not do that to be, you know, like if, if I'm a, have a good sense that there's something that's going to, yeah. you know, that I'm actually going to open the dialogue, um, you know, or, you know, and I certainly, I do, I do work for friends a lot and sort of as, you know, as gifts and things like that, but sort of more sort of, it, it helps me explore the relationship to a certain degree, you know, and also to, to express, you know, my feelings for those people. So, there's that. Um, I think on the public, more public side, um, the last exhibition I did was done to uh, as part of a thing that was uh, sort of celebrating the the graphic uh, novel in Cleveland, and it was kind of based around. It was sort of organized by uh, one of Harvey Pekar's collaborators, and was based. Uh, it was a tribute to him, and so the fact that uh, Gary Dumb, who was the 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 artist that was, you know, staging the exhibit, was involved, and that made me interested in submitting. Yeah, and in and you know, I was fortunate enough to have work accepted and then exhibited with that. So that that was the most recent sort of public thing I've done. That sounds um, like a cool project. It was great. Yeah, it was really cool. So it was just, you know, sort of, it was, you know, Cleveland, uh, Cleveland graphic, um, you know, graphic novelists and comics artists and that sort of thing. And just sort of a, a sample at a, 
there's an organization called the Artist Archives of the Western Reserve, who it's a, sort of a, it has a membership um, of local artists, and then also will do these these uh, yeah these exhibitions, and it's sort of it's like it's a non-commercial gallery for the most part, and that that part was also kind of important to me is that the money aspect is 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 you know I like money, but <laughs> you know oftentimes I find it to be like the consideration of it to be really uncomfortable when, when I'm making art or thinking about making art. And so I'm just, I'm, I, I, I've become manifestly uncomfortable with it when I've been involved with commerce and that sort of thing. So it's, it, you know, that non-commercial aspect to the exhibition, I think was, was important. Yeah. Uh, digging in a little bit more with uh, creativity uh, when, and, and, t- putting this in the context of, of teaching because you know, going way back with the Iowa idea, the original Iowa idea, right there, were, you know, and I, I think it's still that, you know, there's debate, right. Can creativity be taught? Right. And that was one right. of the, one of the struggles was even like <clears throat> before, before the Iowa idea, before the MFA is like, can, can you actually help develop somebody's creativity? And just wanted yeah. to, one, get your general thoughts on that, but then two, how, when it comes to teaching something creative like art, how do you do that with students? Yeah, um, I, if, as, far as, as far as I'm concerned, I think that creativity is, is something that not, not only humans are born with, I think that most organisms of a certain sophistication have a component that, allow, that allows them to react to the universe or interact with the universe in ways that adapt to situations. And I think that that's really essentially what creativity is. Uh, you know, I think, I think my dog will find the pillow to put her head on, or she'll scrunch the blanket up to make it optimal for her snoozing. Right. And that is fundamentally a creative act. She's, you know, it, it's as, as basic as it is. She's manipulating objects, you know, she's manipulating her environment to make it more comfortable for herself. So I think that impulse, again, is there and it's, it's kind of neutral and, it, and it's innate in, in much, much life. Uh, I can't speak to the iguanas. I'm not sure yeah. what, you know, how they go with it. Um, but the, the, the real thing is establishing the relationship with function or with purpose and the comfort with purpose and, the, and direction. So I think that the, 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 it's kind of a moot point as far as I'm concerned that whether or not one can teach create creativity, because if you're functioning, it's there, right. you know, you choose that you choose your pants, you know, you, <laughs> you, you, you know, it's there. So like the big thing is to determine what you're going to do with it. And how would you help, uh, you know, kids wrap their minds around art or I, cause I, I'm really sorry. Cause there's, there, there's a few paths sure. here. So this is really ham fisted. Oh, so sure. feel, feel free to take any path or just, oh, no problem. just say none. Yeah. But one is I, I see art is incredibly important, especially for younger kids to help find voice and ways to express themselves. Like, yeah. You know, Absolutely. Um, so there's one element helping them with that. And I guess the other is back to like humans as naturally creative beings. Um, I, f- I feel like like some work and research I've done on creativity, there's, there's arguments that uh, we might in general, we might be our most creative up until about first grade. And then hmm. 
creativity starts to get beaten out of us almost as it's right. like, you, you got to be right. You have to follow this answer. And so less right. creative, less creative options of thinking start to dwindle away as well. But um, one is, <laughs> I guess, what age group did you find the mo- to be the most creative generally? And then uh, right. how, how would you help uh, kids or students with expression? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I got there's there was a lot of the, a lot in the education literature certainly about the you know, like sort of the phases and you know, development and what what certain age groups are going to do at certain times. I, you know, I think what it is is uh, again is an, it's an evolution and there there are opportunities for shutdowns or sort of you know doors will close but other ones will open throughout the process. So I don't know if there's if there's a most creative and it's going to, it's also going to happen for different groups at different times and, and, and different places. Like, you know, I, in my teaching, I went from, you know, the affluent private school environment to, uh, to the inner city uh, charter environment. And I found that art had a very different thing you know, for kids who are seeking voice or seeking interaction or seeking stimulation in their environments, you know, a lot of the kids that I that I taught were effectively on lockdown in their neighborhoods after they came home from school. So they, you know, so the idea of having to be a, a being able to draw could be extremely important to a, a, a kid who was looking for alternate universes to explore because they had to right. create their own. At the same time, you know, because of cultural aspects too, that there was a much, there could be a much more severe backlash against being uh, creative in certain ways or being overtly talented, you know, because of things that are going on, because of, right. you know. So it's so complex, I think, ultimately, that it's it's hard to, to put my finger on any one you know, any one group that, that, that kind of did better. I found in general, like second to third graders were the most chipper like, and the <laughs> yeah. most flexible, like in certain regards, you know, but at the same time, I found they were, I think they, they, they tended to be the most comfortable with themselves. And so they would do all kinds of things too, but they also wouldn't, pushed certain things like the the struggle aspect wasn't there because there was very little even in both in in, in both school environments they, yeah. there, there was like the world was just a sunnier place for summer you know at that point in time that's funny yeah. i um one of my summer jobs in my in my life i was a camp counselor uh and it was it was uh it was a day camp where they would sleep over thursday into friday right but uh it was a kid and it was grades k through two and that's what they were going yeah. into into the fall. And so what was really interesting is, is the second graders, because they, they really had just wrapped up first grade. Most of them had yeah. been through a camp experience. So uh, they were easy to get going down the path or, you know, to cook over a campfire. You didn't feel like too risky. They were, uh, but um, they still had like this element of wonder and like just the questions yeah. that they would ask when you're hiking through the woods with, with, 
uh, basically with six, seven and eight year olds, I always found that just like complete, like for me, it was recharging just how, how they see the world or the questions that they have. But, uh, always found that to be fun where there, there's enough where they're self-sufficient and, and yet, like you said, the sunny disposition and and uh, you don't yeah. have to work too hard to sell like the camp mythology, right? There were these made up That's characters true. in the woods and they, they believed yeah. it. They celebrated the stories. Yeah. There's a, 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 a story that my wife loves that I, that I told from a class when I was teaching some third graders. Um, and we were doing some work related to the Iliad, actually. So it had a sort of a, a children's illustrated Iliad that we were, we were using. And so in the language of the, the story, they talked about, you know, one of the, one, I remember which figure it was, but one of the, the figures, uh, you know, singing songs of his homeland. And I'm reading this to the children. They're all kind of gathered around the standard sort of classroom, you know, read to pose. And so I'm reading this, uh, you know, the, so Achilles or whoever sang songs of his homeland. And I hear this little voice go, old Mick. Donald had a farm. <laughs> this little girl just started singing, singing it to herself in response to the idea. You know. Oh, so yeah, it's yeah, they can be pretty magical. That's great. Uh, one of the things I like exploring uh, on the podcast with folks is uh, digging into like mentorship and advice. Uh, looking back, uh, who were some of your your mentors, or what what was some good advice that you received? in your career? Yeah. Um, I definitely, I had, I had lots, I, I definitely sought out mentors, but I think I had no idea what my career was going to be. Yeah. So I like just, I kind of sought out interesting people. So I think I sort of collected um, experiences with, with others that, that, you know, on, on personal levels that sort of shaped you know, how I thought about the world. And I think my, my father was, my father and mother were both enormous in that for their experiences. Um, my mother grew up in Germany during the second world war and my father grew up in the United States uh, at the same time. And so I've got very interested in, in the history of both the United States and Germany as a result and sort of gave me that relationship. So, um, in high school, you know, I kind of, you know, I did a lot of cutting class and like a lot of what I also did when I'd, I'd go and I'd hang out, I had a couple of teachers and, and by the, na- the nature of the school I was in in the time, there were several, like most of the teachers were products of the late 60s and 70s and had, it was a private school and, and just had kind of a, a philosophy that attracted these sort of, sort of, you know, some definitely serious hippies, but also yeah. like some really thoughtful Vietnam vets and I kind of gravitated to those guys and spent some time with them and hearing their stories. And I, and that, you know, and a lot of it was sort of collecting lines. Like I recall one of them had been a, a green beret in Cambodia and told these incredible stories of, you know, the illegal operations we were doing in Cambodia. Um, and at some point, you know, and he had that veterans, look the 600 yard stare right where you look into his eyes and you know this man has you know has probably killed people with his with his hands yeah right right. and at a point he would he would kind of have these moments where he you know we'd be talking about something or he'd be doing something and i'd be doing some 
you know, drawing or something in the, in the corner of us. And he'd turn around and he'd just say something. And if I, you know, like, it was exactly that. It was quiet. And he turns to me, he looks at me. And I said, you know, I look up at him and he said, you know, he says, you know what? And so what? And he said, combat is easy. Divorce, divorce is hard. <laughs> that, was, that was his, that was the, the, the sort of the insight that came from, you know, like, and again, uh, it's, yeah, I, you know, so in addition to sort of being mentored in, in the sense of, of finding direction through the world, there's also, I think, I've also sought out a great deal of the absurdity in the world too. And yeah, so like yeah. people that have been able to give me that I consider as mentors as well. So, you know, I thought that was just a, a great moment, but yeah. So, um, like other, you know, on through that, I think at a point I kind of, you know, kind of got into the hopper mode a little bit where I think my, my men, you know, the idea of mentoring became more abstract and it became more about seeking influence. Yeah. And then it became, you know, cultural figures more than individuals. Where, where do you go for inspiration now? Or do you go to, I mean, that, that, uh, uh, that's a big assumption on my part right there, but. Well, no, no. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of it is, a lot of it is relationships and a lot of it is that, that sort of that personal aspect and, and drawing from the people that I know and the conversations I have. And there's a lot, you know, certainly from other cultural stuff, from art and music and that sort of thing. And so, you know, I tend to be more backwardly oriented um, that I, I will find something historical or something that's sort of established in the culture and then expand and sort of, you know, wind my way or sort of search my way out. Like I think the Roland Howard thing recently is a good example where, you know, I've always, I, I, you know, I was a fan of the birthday party, you know, in college, but I never really paid a lot of attention to Roland Howard, it was his name would show up in some things every once in a while, but it was always kind of Nick Cave and that sort of thing. And so, like, recently, you know, I was exposed to the, there's a, a great documentary about his life. And so I saw that and was moved by it. The documentary is called Autoluminescent, by the way, if anybody wants to check it out. Um, but basically, from there, I kind of got really got interested in his story. And then started to look into the musicians, other you know, the Australian musicians, the Melbourne scene, and that sort of thing that, that he played with and played with him, and you know, and gone down this rabbit hole, this sort of Australian rabbit hole that you know has been great and sort of illuminating in a lot of ways. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, yeah, actually, uh, somebody I'm going to be talking to in the future on the podcast is just uh, Melbourne, Iowa connection. Uh, he and his wife started a design firm in Melbourne, Australia, but uh, she actually grew up in Iowa. So uh, nice. There's a very there's cool. another Iowa Australia connection there. Um, yeah. So the uh, you, one of the other things, kind of related to uh, mentorship, is advice. And you know, so we talked now. It's it's you're seeking more ideas than people at this point, but. Uh, and stealing from Austin Cleons, steal like an artist. When when we're giving advice, we're usually talking to your younger self. But what advice would you give to uh, to young artists, may, you know, maybe in their late teens, twenties, kind of setting out in the world? Yeah, I would definitely. I think I think what we covered about that uh, that idea of um, the the creative impulse being neutral, 
I think that's, you know, it's something that I definitely, definitely tried to do with varying degrees of success or success and still in, in the kids that I taught. And that's what I would, and, and it comes from sort of the, the pain of trying to discover that or discovering that or having that notion evolve through experience and, and through yeah. discomfort. And I guess that's kind of it too, though. At the same time, you, you think, well, what should, you know, I don't know if I'd tell my younger self anything because that discomfort <laughs> was essential. Yeah. You know, so it's, it, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to gain. I, don't be an idiot, I guess is what I, what I tell my younger self, you know, to stop or, or stop being an idiot. I right. Think would be right. The, you know? Yeah. So uh, reflecting back on some of your time at Iowa, what, what might be the biggest, uh, like biggest memory or influence that you might've had from uh, university of Iowa? I was such a I, Iowa City was such a great place. I really I really like. In some ways, I wasn't prepared for it, and I but I you know and and so I did I did a fair bit of complaining while I was there. But there are definitely aspects of that time and particularly that environment that I look back on with uh, with a great deal of fondness. And you know I had a, and the opportunity to be at the university and then. I was involved. I was in the Army Reserve and National Guard, so I had an opportunity to be involved with Iowans outside the university, you know, in ways that I would never have had I just been a student. And so I thought that was really great and and important. And then I stayed in town to finish out my Army time um, after graduation, and so kind of really became immersed in being. Uh, an Iowa citizen. Um, and that was great. And I think like there was a, a, there was a warmth to the environment that is hard to put my finger on without sort of making insipid generalizations about friendliness or whatever. Right. Right. Because I don't think it's exactly that, you know, I, it's, you know, I think, I, you know, I, there was, I just, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than just warmth in general, that there was, you know, there was, there was a nature to Iowa and it's sort of a, um, you know, and again, every time I'm come, come running into things that I could describe yeah. it with and they all feel very inadequate yeah. and, 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 some and a bit condescending, quite honestly. So I don't, you know. So like, um, so yeah. I think I just I enjoyed being there. I enjoyed the the vibe of the place, for lack of a better descriptor. Yep. I enjoyed the education there. I think the thing I enjoyed the most was the the creative writing classes, and the the social aspect that went along with sort of workshop format classes like that. And that was that was valuable to me. I met great people, you know, and then the TV show and that, that we worked on, I think was, yeah, was, was also course. A, a cherished, a cherished memory. I, th- yeah, I, we, I uh, think that was the most popular sketch comedy show amongst like eight or nine people on campus. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or I think the, where the, yeah, the, the, the number of people involved in the making of the show is substantially larger than the number of people. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. But goddamn, we thought we were funny. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, we had, we had a good time doing it. Yeah. Oh yeah. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, 
because we would have uh, the you know we had writing meetings at the mill. <laughs> yes, uh, indeed. And then I used to take uh, one of my old design teams. Uh, we would actually have salons, and on, uh, periodically on a Friday afternoon, we'd leave. We'd leave work. We'd go to the mill, and we'd have a directed like conversation. We, we'd pick a design nice. challenge, talk about <laughs> it, but have yeah. beers and just in a really relaxed environment. Sure. And uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard to hard to shake the uh, something something about the mill. I still think is great to go sit it's and have beers and talk through ideas with people. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I yeah, always enjoyed that place, and I, I I remember the little lasagnas. I don't know if they still do that, but you get the, like that that lasagna in like a little bowl. Right, right. Yeah, I think I, I think they do. Uh, their their menu has changed uh, all for the better. I, I, frankly, one of one of the things I heard is uh, they have trouble keeping cooking talent because um, the uh, next the next hop is actually like then a chef trying to go to uh, Nashville or Chicago are like two of the markets that oh that's interesting they want to get to. But it's yeah. It's a surprising amount of stuff that is made now, like homemade there, and and is is done really well. But the look of the place hasn't changed. The look has not changed. I, I think you know, the, oh, the, great. like the same the same tuba and violin hanging on one part of the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Might even be the same. A lot of wood, yeah. The wood paneling, yeah. right? Yeah, Where it looked like, like, a, like yeah, a rural Wisconsin bar, like yeah, <laughs> yep. exactly. Yeah, so great. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's so wonderful. I just, I'm, I'm having, I'm having waves of nostalgia just thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Well, and if you if you get a chance in the future, uh, unfortunately, Mission Creek, which usually happens in April, it was, um, and then because of COVID, they punted, and then they were going to try and have it in September. But now, different artists' schedules just so hard to to get back. But it's a, it's really it. It's more than music and literature, but it it really is a celebration of of music and literature. And it's usually five five to seven days, and just some amazing programming and just a really really cool vibe. So if if you get a chance, keep that on your your radar to get back to Iowa City. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. And uh, one one of the things I was going to ask you is: there anything that we that we didn't cover that that you want to talk that I didn't have a a good question for, but something that popped into your head? Um, yeah, I think not, not enough. I think the, the only thing is, as I'm sort of, you know, opening up some gates about Iowa City that had been closed for a long time, I think. Um, you know, uh, Los Marauders is the yes. thing that's coming to, coming back to me in, in force. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm looking actually at the, the 45 of, I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to recite the title, but I have the 7-inch. <laughs> Right there, I'm looking right at it. Oh, that's yeah, great! The 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 yeah, so great. So yeah, um, but no, I you know just the yeah, that's, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of off the going down my internally going down an, an Iowa City rabbit hole. So I'm kind of at a loss for 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 material to cover at the moment. But um, yeah, no, I think you know, I think if if any if I had any sort of like a sort of you know, capstone statement to make about uh, creativity or the or the creative process. It's it's again that that recognition of the of the creative impulse and what it and and uh, and that that if you can determine honestly what it's for, um, according to your needs, anybody can 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 create 
you know, and, and what that is is going to be up whatever that, you know, whatever your need is going to be. So, you know. That's, that's great, Joe. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time uh, to join us. It's oh, an yeah. absolute, absolute pleasure. And I think this might've been the longest amount of time that we've, we've spoken without just like a really silly joke, just popping <laughs> up. This was, this, <laughs> was, this was a serious adult conversation. We've grown. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. I can't imagine. Yeah. Right. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And, and remarkably, remarkably few obscenities. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I guess like there wasn't somebody, I think somebody on the team like scapegoated. <laughs> I think there was, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Well, you know, so yeah, we, maybe we need to get more of the guys together to really get it, you know, to get it in the gutter. There, <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, yeah. Well, again, thanks so much. I really appreciate the time and I appreciate re- sharing your perspectives with me. Uh, it was an honor to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you. It was, uh, yeah, it was an honor being here. It was absolutely my pleasure. So yeah, for sure. 